diagnosed with unexplained infertility is infuriating. Mm. Because to me, it just means undiagnosed. It doesn't mean unexplained. Um, here I am in my thirties. I've never been pregnant ever. So there's something right. Mm. Um, my husband's sperm analysis looks great. His semen analysis is great. Um, all of my tests, all of my hormone levels, everything's perfect. But is it because I'm not getting pregnant? Hello and welcome to Labor Pains Podcast. I am your host, Teresa Reiniger. I am so glad that you are here. If you are here for the very first time, welcome. I am so glad that you have found me. If you have been with me before, a huge welcome back to you. This podcast is a place, it's a platform where I have been spreading awareness, connecting and supporting those that have experienced the struggles of infertility or loss of a child during pregnancy or infancy. We talk about feeling alone, isolated, the grief and where to find support. I hold space here where professionals share how they can support you and those that have personally have experienced infertility or loss can share their stories to connect and give support to others. Your healing and happiness is very important to me. My listeners and clients have shared that they feel like they are not sure what to do. Their relationships are hard. They're feeling alone and isolated, feeling like no one understands and their needs are not being heard. I hear you. I see you. And we talk about them. We're spreading awareness and giving you a voice. If hope and healing is what you're looking for, you have come to the right place. Hello, Desiree. I am really, really excited that you're here with me today to share your journey, to share your story. We briefly have talked before. I've gotten a little glimpse of, of your journey, but and I and and people say you're excited about hearing their story that's been difficult. And I and I am. Not that I want to hear the difficult part, but I'm excited for you to share it. I know the benefits it brings to that person sharing and to be able to share with others to help them. That's what gets me really excited about having guests on. So welcome to Labor Pains Podcast. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. You are welcome. So we were connected. I can't even remember. I think I saw your website came through my social feeds or something, you know, how that all happens. I never know where, where I get connected. But with social media, things just come through my feeds and you probably feel the same. Um, and so we got connected, reached out, and I would love for you to share with the audience first, before we get into your journey, your story, who is Desiree? Who's this beautiful woman that I'm talking to today? Ah, that's such a interesting question. Mm. Um, who am I? Well, I'm going to answer that the way I know I'm supposed to answer it. Uh, <laughs> Good. Right? Just in case my therapist is listening, she'll be <laughs> answered it the right way. Um, but I'm going to answer it in a way that I think is actually really important and something that we don't do all the time. So mm-hmm. I, I am a very passionate 
um, pretty type A nerd, I guess. I would self-identify as a nerd. I am a person who is constantly on the quest for more information. I'm just like always interested in absorbing as much about something or a person or a culture. Mm. Um, I am a huge animal lover, except for kangaroos. That's for another podcast. I just have <laughs> irrational for kangaroos. I don't know why. Um, but, and I'm also just a really fierce advocate. I'm the friend that gets more mad about something than the person is themselves. I just want to like rid the world of injustices. Um, and so I answered that in the way that um, I think is important because often when somebody will say, who are you? We will say, oh, my name is Desiree. I am a mom. I am a small business owner. I am a wife. Um, and I, those things are roles in my life, right? Mm -hmm. Those are hats that I wear. Um, and so I think it's really important that sometimes when we wear the mom or desire to be mom or parent hat, we sort of forget that we are still this person, like this core. <laughs> yes. And so I answered that in the way I know I'm supposed to, even though sometimes <laughs> it's difficult to separate things. Yeah, yeah. I love how you answer that. And you added in your roles as well <laughs> when you answered that. So that's yeah. beautiful. I I just hit me. It's like kangaroos. And then I flashed to my daughter-in-law who does not like frogs. And okay. I'm like, and and like where does that come from? So it's like it just was like, whoa, like, okay, where does that come from? That it's somewhere. Somewhere, a pretty close relation to not liking kangaroos and not like they can jump at you at any moment, bring <laughs> towards you. So I can, you know, I can see that. I you can get it. You get it. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So just a little more understanding of that. That's good. Yeah. So I do know just from what you said, I'm like, wow you know, and we're gonna, I'm gonna have you back on another episode to talk about what you do. But everything you just said there, I was like, no wonder she is doing what she's doing. As far as her small business, being a small business owner. And we're going to allude to that as we go further um, into this. Um, and then, like I said, we're going to have you on another episode where you're going to dive deeper into that to really help um, those that are listening to the podcast. So, um, so today, though, I would love for you to share your journey to become a mom, the yeah. mom that you wanted to be. Oh, yeah. I mean, as anyone who's probably listening to this podcast can relate. Um, I think most people who would listen to this podcast either feel like they are personally affected with um, difficulty uh, getting to where they want to be in parenthood or have a close relationship and desire to understand more, right? And so mm -hmm. um, the thing that I think will resonate with people is that it's just so long. Um, and often when you go back and look, it's even longer than you realized. And so um, when, my, so my husband and I started dating at the end of 2008, um, and he, 
um, came with three amazing children. Um, mm. At that time, they were just little, they were three, five, and just turning almost seven. Um, mm. And so, um, I, you know, I got to really learn about like what being a parent is really all about. Um, very different from the kind of childhood that I had. And as our relationship evolved, you know, we talked about what it would be like to add to our family. Mm -hmm. um, and so fast forward a few years and different things happening. After we got married, we decided that we wanted to try for a family. And what's really interesting is that I think often when you talk to people, they say like they just kind of had an idea it was going to be difficult if they hadn't had this conversation with a provider earlier. Um, okay. And I really didn't have any reason to think that, especially with a husband who has three healthy children. Yeah. Um, and my mom passed when I was 21. And so I couldn't really ask her about any sort of fertility struggles. But as far as I knew in my family, like I had never heard of anybody not being able to get pregnant, never really heard about um, miscarriages. And so um, when I would when I would verbalize that I was worried, um, my husband would just kind of be like, just relax. Like it's not, you have nothing mm. to worry about. Like we've haven't really been trying for that long. Um, so added just a routine checkup with my OBGYN um, while we were trying. Um, she was like, oh, it's no problem. Like I can run some blood tests and you know, I'm sure it will be fine. But if you really like you want to hurry things along, you're on the cusp of like that 35-ish age. Um, we can always just put you on some Clomid. So, you know, I said, okay, fine. Um, and I wasn't expecting the phone call that I received. So she had called back and said, um, let's hold off on that. I'd like to refer you to a reproductive endocrinologist. Um, mm. your AMH is on the low side of normal. I had absolutely no idea what that meant. So here's my first tip for people. Don't just say yes when you don't know what something is. Like, I cannot believe how many times we get information from providers and we're like, okay. And then we have no idea what the hell it is. And then we go home and go down Dr. Google, which is a <laughs> danger and misinformation. Don't do that. Um, and so I, again, if you just realize you're just absorbing information, you're not sure, you can always just say to your provider, what is a good way for me to contact you later on when I absorb and I think of the questions that I need to ask? Mm. So maybe you have like an electronic file system, like here in Connecticut, we have my chart and you could just send your provider a message. Um, but I think it's important to ask that because there will be questions that come up over the next day or hours or whatever. So I, I love that. I totally love that. Because mm -hmm. in the just, moment, just ask. Yeah, in the moment you're obtaining information, but if it's something that's not expected, sometimes your brain just sort of freezes and you might not even hear what they're saying or you're thinking about a hundred things. So right. just ask about how I can contact you later with more questions, um, which I didn't do. <laughs> so I went <laughs> on Dr. Google and AMH came up as anti-malarian hormone. And I was just reading really quickly, really scared. And I thought it was related to malaria. So here I am thinking I have malaria, I'm dying. I don't know how I got malaria. Um, okay, makes sense. Yeah. And when I 
my tears went away and I could read the screen more clearly. I learned that it was actually a test that can be sort of an indicator of ovarian reserve, right? And so I then went and dove deeper into what it should be for somebody my age. And I quickly learned that it should be higher than it was. Okay. Um, so then I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I have no eggs left. And now I'm thinking the only way I can ever get pregnant is if I use an egg donor, um, which mm. immediately I had some really uneasy feelings about because as far as I'm concerned, I already have three children from an egg donor, right? Like they're, they're my husband's, you know, by all like DNA. Sure. Sure. DNA, um, their moms. And so, um, I just really like got into this panic and, um, referred me to a reproductive endocrinologist. And in the meantime, as I do, um, I just, researched, researched, researched. Um, and that's both good and bad, right? Like if you're researching, mm -hmm. that's great. Um, but when you research and allow yourself to believe like everything I'm reading is fact, that's a dangerous place to be, right? I always tell people, if you can't control yourself, just switch to Google Scholar. Don't go on regular Google, like actually read research papers. Mm -hmm. So, um, in the meantime, I started um, down the crazy slope of quote unquote, like TTC, which is um, trying to conceive. And I didn't know anybody else at the time who was trying to get pregnant or really like had heard this. So um, I turned to social media. I went to Instagram, I started researching hashtags and I saw a hashtag of TTC, then a hashtag of infertility and then hashtag of all these different things. Um, and so I just created a fake profile or a profile with a name that didn't identify myself. And I started okay. these other accounts of people who were trying to conceive and obtaining information from them. And one of the suggestions was keep track of like your ovulation, which I had never done in my life. <laughs> how to do that um mm -hmm. so again I don't know what we're teaching kids in school but that's a whole nother thing right so um I bought a pack on Amazon that had like a hundred test strips and I got a notebook and I just started testing peeing on the sticks and tracking every day of the month and okay. so kind of see when I when like the test strip was showing that my hormone was surging and when I was possibly ovulating. Um, and what I learned what it was, it was different than what like an app would say. So typically an app would estimate that you're ovulating around halfway through your cycle. For mm -hmm. me, it showed that I was ovulating around day 19 or 20 of a 28 day, very regular cycle. Um, and so then I learned that that after you ovulate to you get your period is your luteal phase. And so I was convinced I had a luteal phase defect, which means essentially that the luteal phase is really short and there's not really enough time for an egg to fertilize and an embryo to travel and to implant and result in a viable pregnancy. Um, so I thought that was the problem. And so I showed up to this RE thinking that's what was going on. And, you know, she said, well, we're not really necessarily convinced the luteal phase defect is a real thing. Um, 
and we'll run some tests and you know we'll go from there we'll try clomid um or something like that and we'll do mm -hmm. an which is intrauterine insemination um basically they're taking my husband's sperm or a donor sperm um and they are bypassing the vagina and the cervix to release the sperm into the uterus so mm -hmm fun biology fact, um, when men ejaculate, there's like a lot of sperm there. And I'm talking <laughs> about millions. Um, but that's by design because some of those are lost in the vagina and then more are lost in the cervix. Um, mm -hmm. And so it's sort of a numbers game, right? The more we put out, the better our chances. And mm -hmm. so by bypassing those two places, it was maybe, you know, you can get pregnant like this. Um, and I was still really active on my social media account. Um, and the provider decided to put me on letrozole um, and mm -hmm. then do an IUI. I went in a few days before my um, scheduled IUI and they did a endo, like a lining check, right? Okay. Uh, mm -hmm. The goal is around like eight millimeters. Mine was 4.3 um, and they decided to do the IUI anyway, which resulted as an unsuccessful IUI. And I use that word intentionally, right? We don't wanna use the word failed. We haven't failed at anything. It was unsuccessful. Um, but then when I started talking to other people, they said that that IUI probably should have been canceled. There's not, that's not optimal lining. Um, and along with some other things that just didn't feel right, like questions about how much things were going to cost, insurance, um, are there support groups, this and that, I felt like maybe I need to switch providers, something mm -hmm. didn't feel right. And I think it's really important that we know that we have options when it comes to providers. We don't have to go to the OBGYN that we've been going to since we were 13. We don't need to go to the place that they, um, recommend, right? Mm -hmm. I chose a place in Connecticut that I felt like had an amazing reputation by name, didn't do any research. So then I went on to sart.org and started looking at statistics um, and decided that I would change over to UConn Fertility. Mm -hmm. So it's with UConn School Hospital. They have an amazing fertility center in Connecticut. So I transferred there and immediately it felt super different and I felt heard. Um, and so due to insurance, we decided to do two more um, IUIs, one with Clomid and one natural cycle, and both of those were unsuccessful. Mm. Um, at this point, I think in hindsight, if I could tell my self, my past self, um, anything, I would have suggested to take a break because... Mm. What I didn't realize at the time and what my husband was telling me, but I was not listening because I didn't want to hear it, um, is that I became really all consumed in just getting pregnant. Um, and really at that point, it didn't matter to me like what I would have had to do to get pregnant. Um, and what could be sort of like damaged along mm. the road. 
Um, first and foremost, I think probably my relationship with my husband, um, my relationship with myself. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of people will tell you that when you decide to try to get pregnant, whether you are going to have, you know, difficulty or not, it's sort of like a tricky thing for a woman, right? Because we have this like biological clock and <laughs> like a finite egg reserve. Yes, we do. We do. And we, I later learned that there's really like a 12 hour window to conceive, right? Like that you have to be ovulating, the egg has to like fertilize and um, it's only alive for, the egg is like only viable for so long once it's released. Um, so it's amazing that people get pregnant ever because mm -hmm. so many things just have to align. Um, so when you learn all of that, it's really hard to just say, like when we have sex, when we have sex, if we get pregnant, we do. If we don't, we don't. Like mm -hmm. it's, I still haven't found the good answer to being aware of when the optimal time is and keeping the spontaneity and intimacy of sex. Yeah. Because um, it's hard to forget about um, the biological aspect, because there is such a small window. Yeah. Well, and I want to just go back a little bit and just reiterate a couple of things that you said. I love that you talked about Google <laughs> and, you know, information is good, but we always read into, I think when we research information, almost we pull the negative out of it. And so that's why it's important not to do the research. The education is good. It helps us when we move forward. So I love that you address that. And the changing of a doctor, not feeling comfortable, mm -hmm. you know, not getting the answers that you want, not um, connecting, being heard, all of those things are really important as you are on this journey to start a family. So if you're not comfortable where you're at, for sure, like you did, switch it up. Mm -hmm. I think it's also and, to offer that feedback to providers as well, right? Yeah. We want to, I'm a skeptic by nature. I don't trust. <laughs> I don't know if it's because I'm a New Yorker. I don't know if it's because I'm a Scorpio. There can be a million reasons, but <laughs> Is pretty skeptical. Um, but I have to check myself and say, hold on, like most providers got into their profession out of the passion of wanting to help people, right? True. And compassion fatigue is a real thing. Mm -hmm. And so is setting up boundaries so that you're not taking so much. However, I think it is appropriate that sometimes as the patient, it is okay to remind the provider that you are a human being and mm -hmm. that their words or actions made you feel a certain way. So mm -hmm. I think 
I will coach my clients and other people on, wow, that didn't seem appropriate. I think you should give feedback. And I would say maybe 50-50, 50% of the time people will give the feedback, 50% of the time they don't want to cause, I don't know, some drama, right? But there's no drama, right? Like, let's give people the benefit of the doubt. We give the feedback. Hopefully it's well-received. We do it in a, you know, very like example-based, I felt when you did X, Y, Z way. Um, and hopefully they take that, they take that and listen, right. And think about it. Um, not, that's not the provider for you, but we also know that all of us are humans, right? None of us are perfect, but I think it's important that we really, really, really start listening to our intuition. It's Mm -hmm. there to protect us. And if a provider values don't align with ours, if, you feel dismissed or silly, that's just not the provider for you. And that's okay. That's maybe the provider for somebody else, right? Yeah. Um, some would say that my absolute favorite provider, my RE, um, is really, I wouldn't say cold, but like um, maybe like more introverted, right? And mm-hmm. his, I think some people read his bedside manner as like they're not sure how to take him. For me, first of all, I, absolutely adore him. And that didn't, I never really got that feeling, but I could see how others would. But sure. for me, what was more important is I felt like he, I still do feel like he is a genius. He is so generous with his knowledge. He is always like, I still email him and he will answer me and doesn't only just answer me. I swear he like every time he provides some sort of recent and relevant research, like, oh, wow. I'm like, geez, do you just not even work and you just research all day? For somebody else, they might want a provider that makes them feel warm and fuzzy. There's no right or wrong, right? Sure. What's right is what's right for you. And so we push for that. And that's okay. That's not selfish. You're not causing trouble or being like the um, aggravating patient, right? Like, yeah. Things that are really important. Yeah. And I just, with you saying that, I'm like, yeah, I would probably just what you've just said, like, I would want the opposite. Like, I want that warm and friendly and very compassionate and empathetic and, you know, hit my feelers because that's who I want, you know? So, yeah, yeah. I mean, and and both of them, you know, could be very, very good. And I love that you said they have to be right for you. What you need. So I love that you said that. So I want to go to a couple of things that you said with those failed um, or unsuccessful um, IUIs. um, How did you feel? Your husband wanted you to take a break. Um, I totally relate. Probably people listening to the podcast fully relate. Like when we decide we want to have a family, like we decide as women, like just do it all. This is my goal. I need to get there as fast as I can. Everything else gets pushed aside and we're very driven to get there. And he wanted you to take a break. Where was your grief? Because I know as a grief coach, there was grief then wrapped in that. Lots of layers there with with, um, not having success and our body a lot of times the um 
what we say about our body, like what's wrong with my body, like why can't it do this? It's designed to do this, it should do this, like all of that negative talk that we put in. So wrapped within that is grief. Where was that for you? And did you just want to push it away? Is that kind of? Yeah. So I don't know necessarily that my husband wanted to take a break per se, but I think he wanted me to understand that. I think sometimes I won't pick on women. I'll pick on myself. Okay. I hear what I want to hear, not what my Mm. husband is saying. Sure. It's because everybody speaks like a different language, right? And so he was saying, it's going to be okay. What he meant was, if we can have a baby or if we can't, it's okay because we have each other. I Mm. heard. What I heard was, you, you, you want this, but it doesn't matter to me. And so I felt very defensive. Like, mm. so what you're saying is you don't care if we have a baby. And then it caused like all these fights. And he's like, I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is it's not the end all and be all. Like we should still have love between each other, right? Like, and that, what I didn't realize at the time was making him feel like, he was going to become secondary. Like I would become this mom and then the roles of husband and wife wouldn't matter anymore. Mm, Okay. And I think a lot of partners start to feel like used, right? So I recently did, uh, I'm currently doing a series with an organization I love, Infertility Unfiltered, and it's bringing sexy back. And it's about sex after infertility and loss. Um, and when we started this, we asked people what their current um, animal is, if, if you're like assigning an animal to your current sex life. And one of the gentlemen said, a worker bee, like I am just here oh. to get my wife, like to get the, the queen pregnant, right? To get my wife pregnant. That was really eye-opening. And I think that there are a lot of partners who feel like that, especially when we are in the obsession of we have to time it. This is ovulation, this, this, this. So I wasn't hearing what he was saying. And I think we kind of allowed that communication to drive a wedge between us. Mm -hmm. Um, And also um, the grief. And so... Grief is so interesting, right? Because I think so there is this enormous, enormous misconception that you have to experience a physical loss of a human being like in person to suffer like a loss and Mm -hmm. grief. And so I understand grief, right? Like I, my mom passed away suddenly. My younger brother passed away in a motorcycle accident. I had a roommate pass away in college from a car accident. And so the same feelings of depression and anger and unfairness and bartering um, were really strong, but I pushed it away 
and invalidated myself because how could I be experiencing grief when I haven't lost anything? Mm. Oh, aren't we so silly when we're younger? But well, did we? Yes. <laughs> little did I know every single month that I had tried to conceive even before the IUIs and I didn't, I was experiencing loss. I was experiencing the loss of my expectations. I was experiencing the loss, I, I mean, I guess physically of an egg, right? Um, and again, going back to this like biological clock and me not taking a break out of fear that I would miss this window of, mm. um, I never stopped to mourn my grief. Like I never stopped to mourn these losses. Um, and that, is very unhealthy um, because if your partner or your spouse or um, like a grandparent or a parent died, we would absolutely take time to mourn. I mean, think about it. The queen just died, right? There's like an actual mourning period. Yeah. Like time. Where is the mourning period when we experience in these losses? There. Yeah allow ourselves right so what we do is we push it away but it's sort of like stacking right like yes. Yes. it's like a like a tower of cards okay we just keep mm -hmm. putting more cards on every month that we keep trying and we pretend it's not there we're like adding more cards to this you know this tower um and, and we so know in time yeah a tower of cards will come tumbling down every time it just does oh yeah um, and so I think, you know, that's where I started creating the, um, false, uh, narrative of I'll feel better when mm. I call this milestone chasing, um, yeah. I'll feel better when I get pregnant, then I won't be so miserable to be around. Then I won't be so anxious. Then I won't be crying all the time. I'll feel better when blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So, um, I just didn't acknowledge it. And my way to cope was schedule the next appointment. What are we doing next? Let's keep going. Yeah. yeah. Um, Which I think is very, very normal. And I'm glad that we're talking about this because it is, that is the norm yeah. to just schedule the next appointment. And it is, and we know you being through it and me, what I do, it is important to take that time and mourn and grieve, take a little break, you know, in the whole scheme of things, you know, even, I, even a few weeks or six months will benefit you in the long run. And we know now that six months when you're 35, 37, 39, really, that doesn't matter. I mean, women are having children, healthy children in their 40s. Absolutely. But I, I think this urgency is put on us. And yes, you know, we are in the best shape, you know, maybe, and the egg quality is better. But we really, sh and we shouldn't put that on ourselves. Six months to take care of ourselves so that we can then have hopefully that healthy child and a better relationship with our spouse is well worth the time. 
Yes, we're going to talk. I'm going to talk about that in a minute because what what is more important? What is more valuable? Conceiving and being completely emotional and mentally depleted Mm -hmm. or taking a break and showing up for the continuation of this marathon, because as we'll talk about in a couple of minutes, the infertility doesn't stop once you're expecting, um, in a healthier way. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think honestly, if, if I ask myself, well, what did I need back then? And what do I try to always give people is I, I think what I needed was permission. I think Mm. I needed permission to grieve. Um, Because when someone gave that to me, it was a game changer. So um, let's talk about that. Yeah, like where did that support come from? Obviously. So after- Support from somebody that guided you, which is huge. We talk about this a lot on the podcast. Angel. Um, So- we moved on to IVF um, and of course diagnosed with unexplained infertility is infuriating mm. because it just means undiagnosed. It doesn't mean unexplained. Um, here I am in my thirties. I've never been pregnant ever. So there's something right. Mm. Um, my husband's sperm analysis looks great. His semen analysis is great. Um, all of my tests, all of my hormone levels, everything's perfect, but is it because I'm not getting pregnant. So um, we do our first round of IVF, which starts with an egg retrieval. And through these months slash years now that have been going on of me um, trying, um, I have learned a lot through knowledge share of people in support groups and different things and social media. And Um, I decided I wanted to test any embryos that we had. So um, my provider was like, I don't really think you need to do that. It's not covered by insurance and you have, don't have a history of loss. And I was like, I just want to do it. I think that if I can minimize the likelihood of transferring an embryo that is chromosomally abnormal, Um, which would most likely result in either an unsuccessful transfer or a loss, I'd like to do that. Mm -hmm. So we do my first retrieval. I think we got seven eggs, um, four fertilized, and then four made it to day five blastocysts where they were biopsy frozen. Um, So also, if... I have to quit my job and become a professional at something. It should be a professional at waiting because all this is waiting. You're just waiting for something all the time. Um, You're in the two week wait, waiting to test to see if you're pregnant. Like this is three weeks of waiting to find out if like how many normal embryos we have. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I get the call and I answer the phone and it's my doctor. And I'm like, well, this can't be good because it's not the nurse. And then he said, you know, I'm really sorry. This is so unexpected, but all of your embryos are abnormal. And I'm like, what? What? Yeah. What do you mean they're all abnormal? Like all of them, none of them. 
can be transferred. Um, and so he said he was gonna send over the report and that I should talk to a genetic counselor. Mm. Um, thank God also for the team that I was working with at the time, because I think my boss let like my whole team go early that day and everybody, like there's like eight of us came to my house. I left early, came to my house and just stayed with me until my husband came home. So like, mm for caring yeah. I took the chance to tell them what was going on um and I looked at the report and there were all different abnormalities which you know the genetic counselor was like that's good because we know that there's not like something that we need to keep our eye out from and she's like there's like a five percent chance that this happens I'm like so I'm the fluke or there's something that we haven't identified yet mm -hmm. um, and so I did take a little break, like a couple of months break, I think also because my body was trying to tell me to take a break um, sure. between there was like a holiday. So the office was closed. I think um, like my cycle was off. Um, so I ended up taking a break. And at that time I decided to really start thinking about like what foods am I putting in my body? Um, how am I treating my body? What supplements can I take? And again, through this like amazing knowledge share, one of my girlfriends had had similar, a similar situation. And she said, my provider up here in Boston um, did H like human growth hormone. Ask your provider about that. Mm. So I reached out to him and he said, look, like there's not a lot of evidence that shows that it works, but it's not going to hurt you. And I will never forget this. I said, if you tell me to shave my head and walk backwards and it will work, I will do it. So yeah. let's, um, I remember saying those exact words to him. So that next cycle, after a couple of months of like putting great supplements in my body, taking care of my body, we did my next stem cycle for an egg retrieval. Um, and I also knew that based on insurance and our finances, this was like it, right? Like insurance mm -hmm. covered two, three rounds of IUI, two cycles. Um, and so it also felt like I had to be able to check off the box that I really tried everything if it didn't work. Sure. Um, and we did a retrieval. I ended up with nine eggs. I four, four, three, four fertilized, three made it to mm -hmm. day five blastocysts and were biopsied. And then I had to wait again. Mm -hmm. um, and then I got the call that two of those embryos came back normal. So I was Yay! like, the roof ecstatic yes um, and oddly enough like since I was a child I would always look at the clock or what or like license plates or addresses and I would always see 1003 like always well it just so happened that 103 was going to be my transfer date so there was no way well <laughs> I think even like I think and it would have been my mom's birthday. I'm like, every, all the stars were aligned. Um, and then I go in for my beta and it's zero. 
Mm. That was the first time that I think my husband really allowed the idea that maybe this isn't going to work to seep in. And I think his grief in the moment was anger. He was a yeah, sure. Dad. Um, and I felt this massive breakdown happening, um, mm. you know, like right before you're ready to have this like huge cry and your body's like welling up and you know, it's coming, but I just ignored it. I just pushed it and pushed it. Um, and I think it's so hard, right? Because your support tries to be so supportive mm -hmm. and well, now you're doing IVF and now you have these normal embryos. Like it's definitely going to work. It's definitely going to work. And I just felt angry. And like, I didn't want to sure. like you lied. It didn't work. Um, and I think there is this crazy misconception that IVF is like the golden answer to everything. <laughs> it's going to work. And if you have a normal embryo, it's definitely going to work and mm -hmm. you don't have a loss, which is not true. It can result in, you can not get pregnant, right? So you can have a, right. you can also have a chemical pregnancy or, um, a miscarriage or an ectopic pregnancy from, um, a normal tested PGS tested embryo. And I don't think that information is out there enough. Had I really known that, I think maybe it wouldn't have hurt as much. Um, I knew it, but like, I just didn't know it. Right? You knew it. And it's like, that couldn't possibly happen, you know, to right. me. Yeah. Like. Because I think what happens is each step of the way, you feel like, oh, well, we're taking care of this issue. So the next thing has to work, right? Mm, yes. And I think by this point too, like my relationship was probably in a really bad place. Like I was just, hyper-focused on figuring it out, right? Mm -hmm. like, I am such a problem solver. I need the answer. Um, I go back to how you introduced yourself. I'm like, mm, yep, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, I went to Boston for a friend's baby shower who was pregnant after. Um, mm. And super happy for her such an amazing person um really like the first friend I made on this journey um so she was like pregnant with her IVF miracle and I am I was always the type of person that wanted to be around people who had success with fertility treatments and that's not for everybody and that's okay right always yeah. preservation um and I didn't have any not good feelings about going I was really excited on the ride home, I started not feeling well. And I pulled over at a rest stop and I just, I felt really nauseous and just not well. Um, and then the next thing I remember is I opened my eyes in a hospital. Um, yeah. And I'm in, I think like a triage room probably, can remember exactly what the room looks like. And the nurse is just asking me a bunch of questions and she asked me about the medications I was taking and I'm, you know, telling her all of these fertility medications. She says, are you going to fertility treatments? And I said, I am. And she said, how's it going? So I told her about her unsuccessful transfer. And she said, I am so sorry for your loss. I had a miscarriage last month. 
And I said, I didn't have a loss. I'm really sorry you had mm. missed. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. I'm really sorry. She was the first person that really saw me and gave me permission to grieve. Mm. And I broke down sobbing and realized, oh, I had had a panic attack. My body just couldn't take not acknowledging the grief anymore. And mm. saw me having a panic, panic attack at the rest up and called an ambulance. I didn't even know what hospital I was in. Um, and that was a huge wake up call that what state was my body in to even get pregnant? I'm like, what if that true? How would I have coped emotionally with that pregnancy and birth and postpartum and a new human to take care of? Not well. No. Not well. Um, and so just like they say sometimes our bodies will know when a pregnancy isn't viable, um, sometimes resulting in a loss. I think sometimes our bodies know when we're not viable. Um, and I was mm. definitely not viable in that moment. And I came home and I remember telling my husband and I felt like it was a hard sell, like that I had had a loss. And that's when I was like, yeah, but I have six angel babies. I have three boys and three girls. Like those were our embryos. Um, and someone deemed them abnormal and they weren't even allowed to be in my body. But it was the first time that your sperm and my egg came together to make something. Mm -hmm. I allowed myself to mourn my children, my six children my three girls, three boys. Um, and I did that in my own way. I planted some flowers, um, but just even just letting the cry flow mm. and saying I lost six children, that in itself was extremely lifting for me. Yeah. Um, and then I had one embryo left we had one embryo left um which we transferred and resulted in a pregnancy um yay, yeah. <laughs> yay. And lasted about 30 seconds um before the absolute panic and fear set in sure sure um, and that's the thing i think that i saw this in other people um, but when I experienced it myself, I knew that it would be literally like my lifelong mission to support people who are expecting after the unexpected, because there truly is this misconception that when you get to the next chapter, that you should be nothing but grateful and joyous. And that's not true. First of mm. all, you can do whatever you are. Um, and you can be two things at once, right? I could be grateful and really afraid. Of course. Um, which I was. I was very happy and terrified that every time I went to the bathroom, I would see blood and I wouldn't be pregnant mm -hmm. anymore. Mm -hmm. um, I begged for sickness so that I knew I was still pregnant, um, which then you're like, did I really want this? <laughs> 
some people that wish for that, it happens. Yeah. <laughs> to the extreme. And then the milestone chasing just really started. It was, okay, um, I need, so this is how my beta should rise to the next appointment, right? right? My next blood work. So we're going to do blood work in 48 hours. Okay. So in my, the first fear was, I think my first number was 256. And then the, ne the next one was like, not exactly doubled. So I was convinced I was having a loss. And then I did another one, which didn't exactly double. Um, I'm on Google on these like, <laughs> yep. post transfer, should the HCG be at this level? Like get off of there guys. That's, it's a range. It, and listen, I've seen crazy things happen. So just like stay off of there. If you really, really, really invest your time in finding the provider that's right for you, you will trust your provider. And if you mm -hmm. trust the provider, they will tell you if they are worried. Yeah. If you have a provider you don't trust, then maybe they wouldn't tell you, right? Maybe they're all like rainbows and unicorns and, oh, you know, like, it's okay. Keep hope alive. Right. Like mm -mm, that's not the provider for me. If you are telling me that like, this is probably not going to work out. I want to hear it. Like if yeah. you, I'm worried if you're not, then I'm not going to be too. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then it was, I will stop being scared when I see the heartbeat and then I'll stop being scared when we do the NT scan. And then I'll stop being scared when we do the anatomy scan and when mm -hmm. we ability. And you just really never stop being scared. Um, and then you feel isolated because some of the people who are in the wait are judging you for mm. quote unquote complaining. And I'm here to tell everybody that you can complain all you want. Um, it is still difficult emotionally and pregnancy is physically difficult. Um, okay. And sometimes, IVF or infertility um, pregnancies come along with like some increased risks of things. Um, mm -hmm. And so there can be complications in pregnancy. Um, and then there's the birth, which can go a lot of different ways. And sometimes I think when we are expecting after the unexpected, our birth plan, quote unquote, is just mom and baby be safe. I don't care about anything else. Oh, mm -hmm. well, the next episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we will. <laughs> um, and here I am like having this healthy baby and then the postpartum anxiety sets in mm. because I just couldn't wrap my mind around the fact that I actually had a healthy child. Like that mm. we home. Um, and yeah, like I think I felt also shame for being an educated doula who is having postpartum anxiety and being someone who is expecting after the unexpected. Because I think I was worried people would judge, oh, well, you finally got everything you wanted. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it just doesn't work that way. Yeah. Um, but my daughter turns five in three days. In oh, beautiful. In two days. Um, and I just can't believe it. Like the five years has absolutely flown. Um, and the thing that I hated the most was that people would say to me, 
oh, well, now that you've had your baby from IVF, you're just going to get pregnant. That happens to people all the time. I'm like, don't say that. Like we have no more embryos. I would never, ever do IVF again. Like that wrecked me emotionally. It was really difficult on my body. I lost relationships. My marriage definitely suffered. Um, And then lo and behold, during the pandemic, I got pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) The only time in my life I got pregnant um, without assistance from IVF. Um, The only other pregnancy I've ever had um, besides my daughter, Ingrid. Um, And I remember really struggling with quote unquote, my identity at that point, because so much of my identity was being an IVF mom, an advocate for the infertility community. By that point, I had done podcasts. I was signed on to be a speaker in Chicago and all these things. And I'm like, what? So here I am like getting pregnant, like a fertile person. Um, (laughs) Fun fact is I called my husband. I think, I think I told him third, like I called my, one of my best friends who would later on become my doula first. And then I called my fertility center. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> is happening? <laughs> yes. um, oh. so it me just like, as if it was an IVF pregnancy, but that, that was even scarier for me because the first Ingrid was an embryo that I knew was normal and have had mm. all of those abnormal embryos, like five out of seven. I'm like, what is the likelihood that this is going to result in a viable pregnancy? Impossible, right? Um, I was just waiting for the loss to happen. Um, and it didn't. And um, I also was like maintained in my infertility community with loving arms, because I think so many of us realize that infertility is so much more than a physical diagnosis of Mm. like related to conception. It is so much physical and emotional trauma and loss. You know, some providers will say there's a lot of PTSD that goes along with Infertility, yep. um, and that doesn't go away just because you get to the next place because you are expecting, or you have a baby, or mm-hmm. your baby is breastfeeding, or on formula, or whatever. It it stays with you, just like the loss of a mom stays with me. That when I have questions about parenting. I can't pick up the phone and call her, right? Like it is the loss that continues to repeat. And I think that that's what is forgotten by so many. And so we would never tell somebody not to remember the grief of someone they lost a year ago or five years ago, right? If someone's husband passed away and they remarried, would we expect them not to still mourn the husband they lost? And we absolutely would, right? So why, just because we have a child, does that mean that I can't mourn the loss of my six angel babies and still feel the effects of infertility? Um, And And I'm giving you permission, as many others, to always feel that loss, because you will. I will, I do. Yeah. Um, And And you also will feel the loss probably 
just something that you said, the identity of now the infertility to the fertile. So an identity loss shift, there is loss with that too. Like, who am I now? Right. <laughs> There's is, loss there as well. Yeah, which is exactly why I started our conversation that way. Because my therapist, she's so clever. She, <laughs> she said to me one day, okay, your homework for today is to go home and come back and, and like write down who you are. Like, this one, no problem. So I come back, I'm proud of myself, you know. I'm like, oh, I'm a mom, I'm a stepmom, I am a business owner, I'm a doula, blah, blah, blah. She's like, wrong. I'm like, nah, actually, that's true. She's like, no, those are the roles you are, like, those are the roles you wear, right? Like the hats you wear. She's like, but who are you? Mm-hmm. Because regardless of those roles, who you are is always going to be the same. Mm-hmm. You don't go from like being an animal lover one day to hating animals like the next, right? Like that's more yeah. of my DNA. And so doing that work of my identity of who I really am is really important as roles shift and seasons change in your life because mm-hmm. I can always go back to okay, I'm in this insane season of having an almost two-year-old and a five-year-old <laughs> and two mm-hmm. kids in college and one that's a senior and on and on and on, right? <laughs> All the roles. <laughs> Country that's taking away women's rights, like I could go on and on, but I am still the person who will like zen out and do a crossword puzzle on it piece of newspaper like that hasn't changed right um and I think that that. grounding is really important Mm -hmm. for women all women yes yes huge Huge. Huge. yeah so thank you so much for sharing all of that um we have already talked about we're gonna have you on I'm gonna have you on again you know um to share what you're doing now and you already said what you're doing, but elaborate, just give us a little teaser on that, um, what that is. um, And then I'm going to ask you to give words of encouragement for the listeners. Sure. Um, I am a birth doula who specializes in expecting after the unexpected. Um, And for those of you who don't know, a doula is someone who supports a family during um, pregnancy, or as I like to say, expecting, because maybe you're not the one that's pregnant, maybe it's through a gestational carrier or um, a surrogate, right? Um, So I will support you while you are expecting um, the entirety of your birth um, and in the early postpartum period. And I do that in an informational, emotional, and physical way. Um, And I think I have this amazing specialty, right? It's like the silver lining from my journey, um, which actually enables me to work with people all over. It doesn't just have to be local. Um, And people often ask how I can be a virtual doula, but if, you know, it kind of goes back to what I just said. So much of this journey really is emotional and informational that um, I think for us, the physical piece is 
really secondary. And, and that's kind of true with, I think, any labor and birth. Um, and sometimes I even work with people who are yet to be pregnant. Um, and so that's also really amazing. So I can't wait to talk about that work. And as far as words of encouragement, um, I think that whoever is listening, wherever you are in your journey, um, you really should stop and remind yourself that you are doing it and you're doing great, right? So I will often hear people say, I can't do it. But the reality is you already are, mm. you are doing it. Um, and so sometimes it doesn't matter how we do it, right? It doesn't matter if someone might perceive it as ugly or graceful. Um, sometimes you just have to get it done. And mm -hmm. so however you're doing it, whatever is right for you, just remind yourself that you are doing it. And if you can give yourself one gift, it should be giving yourself grace. Yes, beautifully said. Yeah. Beautiful. So there are one more thing. If people want to reach out, find you so that they can research, connect, whatever, before you come back on um, to share all that, where can they find you? Not the, um, I don't remember what you call it, not the fake uh, Instagram that you created. Give us the real one. <laughs> find me at harmony births on um, Instagram. So it's just harmony, the word harmony births with an S at the end, or you can find me at my website, which is www.harmonybirths.com. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I think that happens a lot that people just set up these fake, yeah. you know, to just get research and that's okay. As long as that's what it's far and not to do bad things. Yes. so yeah. anyway <laughs> so thank you so much for coming up and sharing so much good information um good thought-provoking uh information for the listeners and i can't wait to have you back on to share so much more good stuff um yeah. for the listeners so thank you again desiree so much for sharing today You're welcome i'm really excited i can't wait to come back and I am always ready to support anyone. So if you have questions, even if you think they're weird, um, yeah, reach out on any way. And I'm excited to chat with you guys more soon. If you have enjoyed this podcast and found it helpful, please consider sharing it. And if you do share it, on social media, tag me so that I can personally thank you because I really do appreciate uh, you sharing it. And this really is the best way that we can connect and support others on this journey. And also, if you can take a minute and write a review or comment on this episode or ask a question. Those are the ways that I can continue to create valuable and supportive content for you and the other listeners. And of course, if you have not yet connected with me, I would love for you to find me on social media. On Facebook, 
you can find me at Teresa Warner Reiniger on Instagram, Teresa Reiniger. And on both Instagram and Facebook, you can find me at Living After Grief. If you need support and are feeling alone on your journey, I am here to support you. I am looking forward to being with you again next week. So continue to share your story to help others feel inspired and to give them hope on their journey. Until next week, have a peaceful and blessed week.